Welcome to Six Count. I'm your host, Sarah Wild, bringing you the voices and stories of jazz from Durham, North Carolina. Joseph, thank you so much for joining Six Count. Yeah, thank you. And I heard over Instagram that you got a new dog. So tell us about the newest addition to your family. Yes, uh, my fiance and I adopted a uh, a beagle from Independent Animal Rescue, which is a really great organization based in Durham. Uh, he's a, a beagle named Mr. Stanley, and he's very fun, and we're having a really good time with him. Well, congratulations, as well as your upcoming marriage. So that's yeah, very yeah. exciting Thank you. as Thank well. You. Yes. Is she a musician? Uh, she plays guitar and piano and used to play saxophone and um, not so much maybe these days, but uh, she can she can pick up instruments and and make some things happen. Well, congratulations. That is really exciting. Thanks. I'm wishing you the best. Yeah, thanks. And we were chatting a little bit before recording that you're from Carborough now, but you aren't originally from the Triangle. So right. where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Greensboro. Same. Cool, cool. Yeah, um, great town. But I grew up in a town called Madison, which is a really small town, I don't know, 20 or so miles north of Greensboro in Rockingham County. Uh, it's a population around 2,500 people. Mm. Uh, growing up there in the 90s, uh, you know, there's a lot of tobacco farms and uh, textile industry and um, just a really great kind of small town community and rural feel there. But yet somehow you are exposed to not just jazz, but jazz minouche, which I feel like is a bit of a more niche aspect of the genre. So is sure. that where you had your first exposure to jazz music or where did that come it was the first exposure to, to that style of music, uh, jazz and jazz manouche, that I can remember. And I'm glad to use the term jazz manouche because jazz manouche is, uh, I think, a more authentic and uh, respectful term uh, compared to, uh, to gypsy jazz. Hmm. And was it in Madison where you first started listening and playing to jazz manouche? Yeah. So, I had a pretty unique experience my uh, guitar teacher, when I was 12, uh, I actually started taking bass lessons with him, was uh, a man named Rex Griffin. Rex was a, a, a real interesting person, and I got to know him very well. When I started taking bass lessons, uh, the first lesson that I can remember was uh, Rex put up a chart for a foggy day. Hmm. And kind of taught me some simple root fifth motion of how to you know, navigate a bass line. But at the end of the day, he was a guitar player. He had some pretty interesting guitars in his house. Uh, he had a Gibson L5 on display and, and a, and a, uh, a Django style guitar. Mm. And yeah. I, I didn't really know anything about jazz at the time. I just uh, thought the guitars looked kind of cool, but I knew that 
Rex was a jazz musician. And I don't remember when I first saw him play, but I knew that he, you know, played that style of music. And when I was taking bass lessons or when I started with taking bass lessons and he put up a, you know, I, what, what we call a chart, you know, lead sheet for that song from the real book. Uh, I didn't know where that came from at the time. It was just a, a single page of music. I learned that, you know, it was kind of stemmed from this style of music, jazz, mm -hmm. and went to see him play probably when I was really young. And that's kind of where I got exposed to, you know, jazz in general. And were your parents also musicians or was it just something that they wanted you to get into? Yeah. So my, um, my dad sang in the church choir mm. and that was probably my earliest experience with music. What um, kind of church? Uh, Presbyterian. Okay. And my, yeah, my dad was, a my dad has a really deep voice and so he, he sings bass in the church choir. Great for those Presbyterian hymns. Yeah, absolutely. My family, they were musical. I had... Uh, an uncle, a great uncle who played guitar, and uh, I had a cousin who led a really cool like hair metal band in the 80s and 90s. And Oh, nice. So, there was always kind of this, and my grandmother also played guitar and had a guitar in the house. So, there's always this kind of air of music around. But, you know, I really remember at five years old, my grandfather gave me a, like a three-quarter size acoustic guitar that he got at a thrift store. Oh, wow. and, and encouraged me to play. And did it um, work coming from a thrift store? Yeah, it, it 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 tuned up, and I remember going to a local music store in Eden uh, when I was maybe six or seven, and um, I didn't know anything about tuning the instrument or what the notes of the string should be, and they tuned it up for me. That uh, seems so young to me to be six and going to a shop to get your instrument tuned. I mean, I I, I remember being really fascinated with music at a really early age. Some of my earliest memories are watching MTV and just being so into, into the bands and the bands who could play instruments and make, make music. You know, when I was six or seven, I remember kind of writing my first song on a guitar. It was just, oh, wow. it was just, well, I didn't know it at the time, but I was just strumming open strings and then fretting the D major scale on the high E string. And I tried taking lessons for the first time when I was nine and something just didn't, didn't resonate with me. And so I remember I put the guitar down and just thought, well, you know, I'm nine years old. I should move on with my life, I guess, and not, and not play, <laughs> not play music now. But then in middle school, I had, um, uh, some friends who wanted to start a small rock band and there was a, one, one of my good friends in middle school, uh, he had a, a Squire Stratocaster and he could, he could play Nirvana and Metallica and all this stuff. And then we had a friend who had a drum set and we were all like, you know, 11 at the time. My friend was playing guitar and they said, well, we need a bass player. So I asked my parents for a bass for, for Christmas and got a, mm. you know, Squire P bass and a little amp and we would just make a bunch of noise in my friend's garage and I remember thinking I need to get lessons and make 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 this more formalized. And that's kind of how I ended up at Rex's house. He he was living in Greensboro at the time and then moved to Madison and took out an ad in the local paper, the Madison Messenger. And my mom uh, went to school with Rex growing up mm. and knew him, you know, knew, knew that he was a nice guy and gave him a call and set up a set up a lesson. And, and that's... Uh, that's kind of how we got connected. So I was 11 years old uh, playing bass. And I really remember that for that first lesson It's the earliest memory I have of, of a lesson with him was, is that foggy day chart 
you know, simple walking bass. But like I said, he wasn't a bass player. But something seemed to click with him in a way that hadn't with maybe previous instructors. Yeah, I mean, from the outset, I was playing music. You know, I was playing a bass line. He'd play the melody and then he would do this thing called improvisation. You know, and so basic kind of jazz form was a part of really my earliest music lessons. I thought it was so cool and I, I thought him soloing was the coolest thing. I just, I, I didn't know how he made it happen or made it work. I just, I just remember being thinking like, oh, I'm playing in a, like a group. Like it, it was, there was something cohesive about me doing one thing, him doing something totally on the spot that, that seemed to work. Mm. But you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a bass player. He was a guitar player and he was a really amazing guitar player. I guess when I was maybe 12 or so, uh, it was like a few months later after I started those lessons, I asked if I could start playing guitar again. And I brought in my little three quarter, you know, guitar that my grandfather bought for me, you know, started taking real, uh, real guitar lessons with him. That must have been a gratifying moment for him of like, oh, well, now I can really teach you something. He always said that I seemed just very interested in, in, in music. Rex really loved his students and he really loved when they uh, really put in the effort to, to learn. And I think I was in, in many ways, musically, uh, I was really a clean slate. I just, I loved music in general. I wasn't particularly drawn to jazz or rock or, you know, any one genre. I loved all of it. I just wanted to, to learn music from him. And he is actually the founder of the hot club of North Carolina, which is what you played in at some point. So tell us about how you eventually became a member of his band. Sure. So I had those initial lessons with him and that went on for a couple of years. I was, you know, sight reading all these tunes and we were playing different, you know, duets out of these method books. Uh, And then when I was 14, my grandfather again, um, he, my grandfather didn't really know much about guitars specifically, but gave he, really great gifts. Yeah, he gave me, <laughs> I mean, life-changing gifts. I still have the guitars that he gave me. Hmm. Um, he gave me a uh, sort of an ES-335 style semi-hollow guitar, uh, a Washburn, uh, hmm. that had the the F-holes in it. It looked a lot, I thought, like his like Rex's uh, Gibson L5. Mm. You know, I was like, oh, my, I was like, my grandfather gave me an electric guitar with F-holes. That means I should play jazz, right? I should, <laughs> I should, uh, I should get interested in that. And that was what I asked him. I said, hey, I got this guitar. It kind of looks like yours. You think you could show me some jazz stuff? He was like, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and Rex, uh, he started teaching me first chords. You know, Rex is a great improviser, but uh, his philosophy is really starting with chords. And I think there was some attention with that. In learning some of those chords, he taught me foundational sixth chord voicings, which are kind of the basis for the Django style, Freddie Green style. I started playing tunes using those chords. And specifically, I started playing Django Reinhardt songs. And when I was 15, that summer, he booked, at least for a few months, our first gig. My, my first jazz gig in, in downtown Madison and Madison Dry Goods. And I started playing songs in, in public. We did that for a while and then, you know, continued the lessons. And then when I was 16, he asked me to sub for his rhythm guitarist in the Hot Club of North Carolina. Yeah, so I started subbing at age 16 for uh, the rhythm guitarist in, in, in 
they had a regular gig at Tate Street Coffee in Greensboro near UNCG. Uh, eventually, the rhythm guitarist moved away, but even before he moved away, Rex had me coming out to, to Tate Street. I wrestled in high school, and sometimes at those tournaments, they would write kind of your weight class on your arm, and I, I have photos of me, you know, post-tournament or post-match with that writing still on my arm, playing playing the, <laughs> playing at a gig. Nice. But yeah, so I guess I was 16 when I got involved with the Hot Club of North Carolina, and then I was pretty much the full-time rhythm player in the group, except when I was out of town and or I I went to graduate school out of state and had some had had folks fill in for for those gigs. But whenever I was home, I I would always join right back in. And where'd you go to graduate school and uh, undergraduate? Yeah, I went to undergrad at NC State, and I went to graduate school at the University of Illinois. Okay. Um, I studied electrical engineering at both places, so kind of removed from music. But uh, everywhere I went, I, I found uh, a good community of people to to play with. I met some some of the people that I still play with today through the NC State Jazz Ensemble. Uh, I met Andy Powell, great bass player in Durham. We played in uh, the NC State Jazz Band together, as well as uh, Andrew Stark, who's a great drummer based in Durham. Um, and then in graduate school, I had a teacher, a really great teacher out there, Dr. Young Kim. His graduate work was focused on the improvisational techniques of John Abercrombie, who has since mm. become actually a big influence on me. But uh, yeah, I studied with Young Kim for for about a year and a half while I was out there. And I would almost attribute his influence uh, almost to the level of of Rex's on me. He I think with Rex, I built a really good foundation for certainly playing chords, but also kind of like the basics of harmony. And Young Kim really uh, expanded that for me in in some really great ways. So I was really lucky to have a couple of really good teachers. Mm. Um, so at the at that time, the Hot Club of North Carolina was made up of Rex Griffin on guitar, Fred Lale on violin, Bob Bierman on bass. He runs the uh, the bass violin shop in Greensboro and Brad Kokendoffer was playing rhythm guitar. Uh, they had a regular Monday night gig at this uh, place in Greensboro called uh, the Paisley Pineapple, which is now Natty Greens mm. in in downtown on Elm Street. Fred told me the story about kind of how this show came about to perform with uh, the son of Django Reinhardt. Yeah, uh, you know, Babique is a source of of this music. Mm-hmm. At the time when Babique was, uh, I guess, visiting from France, he was touring with the Francois Vola group. Mm. Francois Vola is a guitarist uh, from France, and he is the godson of Louis Vola, who was the original bass player in the Hot Club of in the Quintet of the Hot Club of France. So he, oh wow! So Francois Vola was living in North Carolina, and he had this personal relationship with with an original member of of Django's band. So Babique was over playing with Francois Volag group and Rex went to see them. I think they were playing in Hickory. North Carolina has so many amazing jazz connections. I yeah. love hearing these stories. Yeah. And so Rex was, you know, they really, they had this month that this, uh, you know, weekly gig and they were playing big, you know, they played Belshire in Asheville and they played other festivals and had a, you know, a bunch of other gigs. From what I understand, the kind of Django jazz minouche scene in North Carolina was pretty nascent mm. at the time. There weren't a lot of people doing it. Rex was pretty well known for it. So Rex went to see them play in Hickory. And 
after the show, uh, Rex approached uh, Francois and Babic and talked and said, "Hey, you know, why don't you come to Greensboro and we'll we'll do this gig?" Uh, Rex uh, was very genuine, and mm-hmm. I think when you're genuine in inviting people like Babic Reinhardt to play, and you show you know this level of respect, and you they know that you know what you're talking about. There was just a a real kind of a real connection between them. And they accepted. They said, okay, well, if you can get a gig lined up, we'll, <laughs> great, we'll, we'll come and play. And so they invited the, the Francois Vola group with Babby Grinehart to Paisley Pineapple on a Monday night. And they played upstairs. So it was, if you've been to Natty Greens in downtown Greensboro, there's an upstairs space. And that's where they, they played. There better be a frame on the wall with the photo, I hope. <laughs> they, I, I, I have, so... Um, Dave Shepard, who ran Shepherds in Greensboro, which was a, a music shop, took photos, and I've seen a lot of the photos that were taken. And I have, um, I have a photo of of, Jang, of, of Rex and Babik at that gig at, in my at my house that I that I really love to look at. And it was actually a photo that Rex had in his house when I was growing up, and I remember uh, looking at it um, when I would when I would go for lessons. Very cool. A gentleman, Pat Kelly, uh, recorded the performance and i have uh, that recording oh wow and so I, while i wasn't there and this is a lot of context for how this kind of came about uh the recording is amazing yeah and on more than one occasion rex told me that night was really the pinnacle of uh of his performance i mean in mm. the they are playing so fast and so well and the whole band i mean rex fred bob brad from what I gathered from Fred and talking to him about this uh, this gig, they were really nervous and they prepared a lot. It just sound and it sounds like they are just having a blast. Like they were mm. they were they were just on, that night. They were just really on. It must have felt so good to be with that level of musicianship with someone with that history and and family that just probably did feel like a once in a lifetime feeling. And I think that is so uh, courageous of him to yeah. ask. Although it, he sounded like this is also well in his league to be asking someone uh, to do that. But I'm thinking of like my dad asking Michael Jordan after a game at UNC to go get pizza with him and his friends yeah. in college. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it seemed like a very memorable evening and I'm sure it was a great memory for Babik as well. Yeah. And when I, when I was talking to Fred about this, um, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, what was, what was the energy like? And he said, the place was just packed with people. He said, he said, even people who didn't know the Hot Club of North Carolina came out because they were like, "This is Django, you know, Django Reinhardt's son. Like, I'm going to go see this." Mm-hmm. Was, there was a ton of people. It was full of energy, and Fred's, so the way it, the way it was structured was the Hot Club of North Carolina played a set, then the Hot Club of North Carolina played a set with Babik, then the Francois Bola group played with Babik. Mm. Uh, so there was like three sets at least throughout the night. All you know just amazing music and fred said that when they started and they were it was just their band you know they said you know we were we were playing our set we were you know playing with our with our group and you know there was this uh kind of nervous energy because they were they'd be playing they'd be looking over and there's babby reinhardt you know watching (laughs) watching you play the son of the founder of the music you're playing (laughs) yeah i mean one of the closest things you could get to to jenga Like Ellington in the room or something. Yeah, I mean, just a different, a whole other level of uh, musician on mm-hmm. on so many levels. Yeah. 
Well, I feel like I was almost at that show, so thank you for sharing. Even though I know we're a couple yeah, I mean, of steps I, I, away, yeah, but... I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't there either. But um, having heard the recording and heard all the stories over the years, uh, it w- it was a one time thing with him playing with Baby. But sometimes that's all you get with with people like that. And I think for a you know a guy who grew up in in Madison like Rex and um, you know, and the guys that, that were playing in the hot club in North Carolina at the time, I think that experience, I mean, it lives on with them. It's a, it's a really, it was a really unique opportunity. And I think we should mention you shared he passed in 2021. So may he rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, that was a big loss for me. Um, you know, I had known him for most of my life and I don't know, music is such a, uh, such a part of my identity. I think right there with it is is the, you know, the influence and and role of Rex uh, Griffin in in that. And so I I feel really uh, fortunate to have known him. Uh, a lot of folks who knew him knew him as a kind of a prickly guy, uh, a little bit of cur- curmudgeonly. But if you really got to know him, you knew deep down there was a a lot of heart and a lot of soul and a lot of uh, care for uh, for the people he was close with, and so I'm mm. really fortunate that I knew him at that at, at that level. And sometimes it's when your expectations are high of like I want you to be the best, and if I see that you're not, then that can be troubling, but perhaps more caring than if someone were like, "Well, you didn't do your practice," and oh well. Oh yeah, I mean he, uh, especially on the bandstand, had extremely high standards. Anyone who's played rhythm guitar or bass with him. At least the folks that I sat beside of, or you know, or knew who played with him. If you hit a wrong chord or something, and Rex heard it, or he usually heard it, mm-hmm. he would give you a a look that he. It was just you know, it was like I'm never gonna make that mistake again. I'm never gonna. <laughs> there went my night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, some of my lessons with him, and and I remember having those experiences. Uh, you know, on the bandstand at, 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 at Tate Street, you know, because that was really where, uh, you know, I cut my teeth a lot with with learning that style of music and learning to play was uh, Sunday mornings at, at Tate Street Coffee. It was a really great gig. Tate Street was is an awesome place. But, you know, it was kind of a it wasn't like we were playing at a at a high end restaurant or something like that. But it was a uh, it was still a gig. It was still the the gig. Mm-hmm. And Rex took it very seriously. You know, so I remember getting some of those looks that at, at, at Tate Street. But in rehearsal, he could also be like that. And sometimes a rehearsal for me was going to his house. And I really remember doing this. Going to his house on a Saturday morning at like 10 a.m. He'd put on a pot of coffee, really strong mm-hmm. coffee. And uh, he would make breakfast or do whatever he wanted in the kitchen. And then I would be in the living room, which was, you know, a couple rooms away from the kitchen and he would put on a Django Reinhardt recording super loud. Mm. And I would have to play rhythm guitar to the recording with Django. Oh, and, that's great. And try to play along. And if I got off, he would, he would yell at me from the other room like, <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's wrong. Turn, you know, start it over, you know, go back. And so, yeah, you know, I, I think to your point about, about standards, it was, uh, especially around music. And when did you decide to found the Hot Club of Raleigh? And when did that come to the picture? When I left Raleigh for uh, graduate school, I was fortunate to, in Urbana, meet some really awesome people who are also interested in, in that style of music. And I played in this band called Wagon Fire. 
so that was kind of my first experience with a group playing that style of music that didn't involve Rex. You know, I moved back to Raleigh after graduate school and kept playing with with Rex and those guys. But, you know, to go to Greensboro every weekend or, you know, to to try and play some of those gigs or if we weren't playing a lot of gigs and I wanted to play more, I I, I just wanted opportunities to to play more kind of where I was based. And, um, you know, I knew people in the triangle who are interested in that style of music. We, we linked up the original uh, hot club of Raleigh was Stephen Ray, who uh, unfortunately passed hmm. uh, in 2018. Uh, Matt York on set. He, uh, Stephen was a lead guitarist, uh, Matt York on uh, woodwinds, Andy Powell, who I, I mentioned, he and I are, uh, the two original members still in the group. And so that was around 2018. And I, we had played, Andy and I had played together in some other outfits playing that style of music. But in 2018, we got really serious about trying to do a really authentic jazz manouche band. Uh, so we called it the Hot Club of Raleigh. Uh, we played a lot uh, at Watson Ward. We were one of the earliest bands uh, that had regular performances there. That was my first dance gig in oh, the cool. Triangle. Yeah, yeah, great great spot for for live music in downtown Raleigh and we had a, a regular gig at trophy Ta- it was called trophy tap and table now it's called young hearts distilling on Wilmington Street which has a ton of jazz now yeah yeah absolutely so eventually the group became uh, me on guitar Andy on bass uh, Devin Frazier on guitar and uh, Dexter Moses on woodwinds our most well one of our most recent six count guests yeah Dexter Dexter's awesome. And now you all are doing lots of different interesting things and was curious your thoughts on what you hope for the band moving forward. And is it in one way, everyone doing different things is a sign of everyone flourishing by pursuing lots of different groups and styles of music even. Uh, But what are your personal aspirations for the group at this time? Uh, My hope is that we just continue to play together whenever possible. Um, I don't know. There's something really special when we get a call for a, you know, Django style gig, a hot club of Raleigh gig. And, you know, we almost never meet up to rehearse. We, you know, come in and sit down and it just, it just happens. It happens Mm. really naturally and is always really fun. Yeah. Just really just playing as much as we can. Hmm. Is there a venue that might not even have jazz at the moment or anywhere else that you would love to be able to play if that opportunity were to arise? Uh, well, I'd really love us to have an opportunity to play at you know places like the Sharp Nine Gallery or premier venues where people come out to see this uh, type of music. Um, and who would know the people we're talking to about on this episode like sure. Django and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope that can become in the books for 2023 or 24. So you have done so much work with the Hot Club of Raleigh, but that's not all. You've been able to branch out and do other things. Are there any collaborations that you want to speak to that have been memorable since coming back to Raleigh? Sure. So I've been able to play, you know, kind of with different people and trio or quartet formats and different venues playing other types of music besides jazz manouche, including, you know, more straight ahead stuff and fusion. And, you know, I mentioned, uh, young Kim who studied 
very closely the music of John Abercrombie. So I've gotten really into playing like John Abercrombie compositions. I've been playing pretty regularly in a duo with uh, a good friend, Hunter McDermott. Uh, we have a, a monthly gig at uh, Lonza's Cafe in Carborough mm. on the last Sunday. And that's always uh, really fun. And then I've also recently gotten involved with kind of a noisy art rock band called Gallus Mag, although we're we're looking to uh, change the name uh, pretty soon. But yeah, I've been playing with, um, with Gallus Mag and we put out a record this year, which was really fun. Kind of my first experience with recording music that wasn't kind of jazz music. And did you feel like you wanted to race back to what's comfortable or did you find no, I'm really having, I'm, no, I'm having a really good time uh, making a lot of really crazy noises with some pretty cool effects pedals that I've uh, picked up over the years. Um, I'm having a, a, a lot of fun with that band. I've never, I'd never played at the station or the cave or venues like that. I bought a Gibson SG and just, you know, have been playing really loud, noisy music and am really having a good time, <laughs> good time with that. So could, would you say it's fair that you've never grown out of your teenage self who likes playing <laughs> <laughs> loudly? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, anything that's kind of interesting or different, I think is, uh, is fun. And I think it's doubly fun when that music can be super loud if, if it's jazz or otherwise, but mm. I don't know, playing, playing really, really cool stuff with, effects is uh is something that i never really had the experience to do before outside of my office or my bedroom or something like that and so to be able to do it with a band of uh of really talented musicians is is really fun that's great playing with the hot club of north carolina i'm sure you had a lot of mentors just through that group alone and with the guests that might have come from any that you want to shout out in particular or who sure. had a big impact I played with some really awesome people in the hot club of North Carolina over the years. And the people who I think I played with the most and who had the most influence on me uh, personally and, and uh, musically were uh, John Pasquini, who's a really great violinist. Uh, Fred Lale, who I mentioned, um, who was also on the gig with, with Babik. I played with Fred a, a, a lot over the years. Jesse Epperson, who is a bassist also uh, who lives outside of Madison, but he, uniquely played a, a wash tub bass. Um, and he actually played the wash tub bass on the gig uh, or on the tour, the, the small tour that we did with Frank Vignola in 2009. Um, so that was, yeah, it was, it was a pretty interesting group that, uh, that played with uh, Frank, which, um, you know, similar to how Rex got Babique to come play in Greensboro. Uh, it was a similar kind of experience with with Frank Vignola. Uh, so we had uh, three dates with Frank in 2009 uh, summer. Uh, we played at uh, at Mac and Mac in downtown Greensboro, in Raleigh at Marsh Woodwinds Upstairs, and uh, in my hometown Madison at Madison Dry Goods. And the group was Rex, John Pasquini, Jesse Epperson on the washtub bass, uh, Sam Sewell, who's a really great drummer, who played uh, just like a snare drum and a hi-hat, and, and me. Uh, and so those were really, um, you know, some awesome musicians that I had a chance to to play with very, very early on. Very cool. I'd love to see a picture of that uh, bass. <laughs> yeah. He, well, he, uh, he actually, when I was in college, I expressed interest in, ex expressed interest in him uh, helping me build one. I was uh, an engineering student. I was kind of interested in building stuff. And uh, 
yeah, I went to his house and he helped me uh, build one and I, and I still have it. Very nice. And also at the, at the uh, gig at, with Frank in Greensboro, uh, at Mac and Mac, one of uh, the triangles, uh, really well-known uh, jazz guitarist, Scott Sawyer was also in the audience. Okay. Yes. And uh, Scott, uh, he tells the story all the time when when he and I uh, get a chance to to hang out. We were you know playing with Frank, and we took a set break. Uh, Rex goes over to Scott, and I think he was just really thrilled that Scott was there. Um, he and Scott were uh, Rex and Scott were, were were good buds. Rex just handed Scott a guitar and told him to go up and play with us. And so at oh, one wow. yeah at one point in the show it was. Uh, it was everyone in the band except for Rex, and Rex was just sitting back watching watching this happen. So it was like the group with Frank Vignola plus uh, Scott Sawyer, and that was a, a really cool. Uh, I forget what tunes we played, but it was it was really fun. Very cool. As a band leader in this style of jazz, I wanted to ask your thoughts on the triangle scenes, um, appetite, and the opportunities available for jazz Manish specifically. Uh, there's definitely an appetite, and I think that. You know, you mentioned how like North Carolina has this kind of vibrant scene and, you know, there's like Steve Carlo with the Hot Club of Asheville and there's, uh, you know, still folks around uh, Charlotte and Greensboro who who play. And then there's like a scene in the Triangle. There are definitely scenes across the state. And I think in North Carolina, uh, a lot of it has to do with there being a really, I think, obvious crossover uh, appeal to like bluegrass and folk music. Not just because, you know, it's cool music or acoustic music, but also the instrumentation is is very similar and there's a lot of, yeah, just a lot of crossover appeal. Um, so I definitely think there is, is is an appetite. I think, I mean, when people have come out to see us play and they haven't heard that style of music before, they're always just so uh, intrigued by, by the sound and, you know, they're like, well, it sounds like I'm in Europe and we're like, well, that's... You know, that's yeah. kind of the idea. <laughs> that's, that's where the, that's kind of where it stems from. And the musicianship is great. It's a great community. It's small. I, I like. I always like to say that it's small but mighty. Like we, you know, it's, it's very. It's it's extremely supportive. And I really wanted to take an opportunity to acknowledge uh, Richard Badu. So, so Onyx Club Boys organized uh, a jam at the station in Carborough before the pandemic, and then. In the pandemic, the station shut down and there was no jam. Uh, one of the attendees was Richard Badu, and uh, he took it upon himself to kind of self-organize a Django jam uh, in Hillsboro at his house. Uh, so it was kind of a, if you knew Richard or you knew someone who knew Richard, you could get an invite to this uh, to this jam because, you know, at the time, the Things were, were, were really rough, so they were trying to keep the, the group small. Uh, but it was outdoors and uh, all through the pandemic for, uh, it's still going on uh, on a weekly basis, all through the pandemic. Uh, this was a weekly opportunity for this community and people even outside the community who were just interested in playing with other musicians to get together and hang out and play music. And it was all outdoors. And I mean, even in the the peak of the pandemic, like winter 2020 and 2021, I bought a small gas heater that I uh, would would sit beside in my chair and we would wear big coats and gloves and, and still play. 
Richard organized that and, you know, it not only provided a means of community and support during a very difficult time for, for everyone, but also since then it's uh, really built uh, even a bigger community locally and people have started bands or they ask, you know, musicians that they've met at the jam to, to join or sit in for, uh, for gigs. And yeah, it was just a really awesome, a really awesome opportunity for, you know, for musicians to, to play together during what was a, a really challenging time. Absolutely. Especially the social element itself was probably a lifeline for so many. So sure. very cool. And anything else you'd want to share about what's on the horizon for you as a musician, maybe not in terms of gigs, because you mentioned sure. you're soon to be married, yeah. um, but anything else that is kind of coming up for you? Uh, I've been studying a lot or working a lot on solo guitar and I've actually gotten into playing a seven string jazz guitar, which is kind of a almost like an, another dimension. And that really came about in the last couple of years through uh, or and getting to know uh, Scott and Julia Buffington, who own Evans Custom Amplifiers. Uh, Evans is a very highly respected steel and jazz guitar amp uh, company. Although their amps can be used for other things, I use their amps for uh, my work in Gallus Mag, so they can get super loud and really, uh, really sound great. Um, but Scott plays seven-string jazz guitar in the style of George Van Epps. Kind of showed me how to navigate that a little bit, and so I've been doing a lot of uh, solo performances with uh, and and otherwise with with seven-string guitar. I mentioned how I'm kind of working through some contemporary music of John Abercrombie. Uh, so I'm kind of, in, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty interested in, um, in songs of that type, kind of, you know, 21st century ECM label type sounds. Uh, there's also leverage some pretty interesting effects or can. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm kind of exploring that. You sound like an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all, uh, it hasn't hurt to understand kind of the, aspects of you know the electronics and the signal processing and how those mm -hmm. th how those things can fit together in in um in interesting ways problem solving and methodical and yeah, yeah and and um you know and also debugging like if you if you stack two things that don't work quite well figuring out how to make make them work um yeah yeah well very cool well thank you so much for uh, joining again and I look forward to hearing the Hot Club of Raleigh next or maybe sure. you around town with some of these other collaborations. Sure. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs>